Good to have you along here on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, thanks for making us a part of your day. We are streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. We are apparently, Ben, about to be streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. I got to make sure that happens. So now we are there on uh, Twitter and YouTube. We appreciate you coming on and joining us a lot to get to uh, here on the show. Uh, ben, we'll hear from Chris Carlin. Uh, ESPN radio host and uh, of Carlin and Canty, which uh, you can hear after we're done here on 3 and Out. Also, we'll chat with Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, look back at last weekend's PGA Championship. And also, if you missed it earlier on second down, uh, we'll have uh, Christian's conversation with Georgia Southern head coach Clay Helton. Certainly uh, been maybe not a more interesting fall than what we'll see in Statesboro, simply because you are transferring away from... Now, while not like the Paul Johnson triple option, you're still transferring away from a option-based offense to something a little bit different. So uh, he'll be certainly one to watch, and we'll have that for you coming up in in the final hour. But, Ben, uh, look, I, you can't go any farther uh, in the show than uh, taking a few moments to talk about what happened yesterday because, obviously, it's been on everybody's thoughts, uh, everybody's mind, everybody's prayers, uh, what happened there in Uvalde, Texas, yesterday, where you had a a gunman go, well, killed his grandmother, apparently, and then go into an elementary school and needlessly, senselessly, you know, murdering young children. And I, I think that hits home for a lot of people. I think for me and you, Ben, I'm not, well, I won't speak for you, but I know it, it's true. We both have children who are in that age range. Matter of fact, my youngest son is in that same Exact age range. Uh, so uh, that obviously hits home uh, with, with what's happening. And you look back, and it's it's needless, it's senseless, and you wonder what's being done. And I know people say, well, how do you predict these things? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how you know when it might be the day for whoever to, to go and do heinous acts. I, I don't know how you predict that. I do know. That you can protect people, right? I mean, and, and we, we go to school. We take precautionary measures everywhere, right? You can't bring toothpaste on an airplane, right? You can't, can't have mouthwash on an airplane. You, you, you got to go through the metal detectors and get at least a semblance of a pat-down if you want to go watch the Falcons or Jags play. If you want to walk into the swamp, if you want to go watch the dogs play, you got to pass a somewhat – we're going to look in your bag. You want to go to Disney World – we're going to make you go through metal detectors. We're going to look in your bag. We're going to make sure that you are not there to cause a problem. But we haven't been able to do that for the youngest among us, and I think that is a, uh, a part of the problem where, again, school should be a, a safe place. I guess in a day and age we live, unfortunately, it may not be a whole lot of safe place, but school should be one of those for our children. I think at the end of the day, that is the biggest sticking point is – we take precautionary measures, sometimes measures that we feel are ridiculous. Like I said, we can't take toothpaste on an airplane uh, and things in the name of, of safety, but we won't do some small things to ensure that a guy who is not even supposed to be there can walk in and do unspeakable things. And I think that is the, it's sad. It's, uh, you know, it's one that as a parent you think about. And I just think as a whole, it's hard to predict these things, Ben, but you have to look at it and say, 
what is the safest possible environment we can put our children in because as parents, you entrust other people. And that's a, that, that is a, a thing that I think goes by the wayside when you – you know this, but you, you put your children in any situation. You entrust other people to look out for them and their best interests. And I just feel like, hey, we've got to do a better job of making sure that, uh, you know, school – of all places, is the safest possible place outside of your own home, I would think, that your children can be. Yeah, Kevin, I mean, I think I think you make a lot of great points when you talk about the fact that we act as if this isn't our most prized possession. I mean, I don't care what we possess in this life. It's not going to be bigger than our offspring. It's not going to be bigger than our children. And I use the word our. It is ours. And the thing is, we can't let what happened yesterday and, and, you know, I was like, you know, hearts and prayers and condolences go out. Somebody, what, 20-something family members yesterday hugged their either their uh, you know, wife or their child the last time. And obviously, like you mentioned, Kevin, we pick things when it comes to our children way different than we do anything else. From daycare to schools, people go, hey, man, why do more people do? Hey, when it comes to schooling, man, it's like it's bigger than just you pick it for two things, the education and the environment. And sometimes the environment quicker than the actual education they're going to get. But nobody should have to go through what these families have gone through, especially yesterday. I know Matthew McConaughey is actually from there and he was talking about it. Look, I get it. When you talk about certain things, Kevin, I believe we as people, we need to look past politics. We need to look past ideology. We need to look past all these nonsensical things because a lot of times when we're saying that, we're not one of those parents. Those parents yesterday, you can't even imagine it. And we live in a society now to where, yes, we have certain things. Like you mentioned, Kevin, you're not going to certain sporting events without going through the ringer. If you've gotten on a plane lately, it's you can't have enough, you know, precautionary things. So we, what, is the, what is the solution? It can't be what we've been doing. Like, it cannot be what it's been. And like you said, Kevin, because we don't know, we have to plan as if it's going to happen every day. Not to where, you know, kids are going to school in fear because you think the kids are fearful. We as parents, we're just as helpless because we're like, look, man, we got to send them to school. But something has to be done and we can't keep doing the notion of, okay, something, this something thing can't be down the road. It has to be right now. And I don't know what that is, but we need to have come together, you know, as people to say, look, this cannot continue. Because like you said, Kevin, his grandmother, 20-something families, himself. Even though, you know, even though uh, the cops, uh, you know, him, him and the cops, I guess, had like a shootout or something. But it's like, it's just hard to fathom because the one thing we got to stop doing, it, we got to stop normalizing it. Can't, can't make it, oh, it's not a school shooting. No, no. It should be, there aren't any more school shootings ever again. And I know that is extremely hard to do. But last time I checked, we have the means to do it. We, we're we going to have to get the bodies to do it. But we got to come to a we got to come to a synopsis together to say this is what we're gonna do for each other because certain things trump everything and if, and if yesterday don't trump everything nothing else will certainly I, look and and again I'm not here to spout one side or the other politically yeah I think Ben at the end of the day as you said people can agree these are our these are our kids man like you know like th- th- this is the future of uh, not only our families but of the country of 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 what we are hope to hoping to leave them with. And I think we should do as much as we can uh in our everyday life to make sure that they uh that, that they are safe. Uh, again, I know there are places where you go in this country where again, you cannot just walk in, right? And so I think there there are situations where you say, well it can't be no. 
if you should not be able to, if you do not belong there, to just walk into school. I mean, we as parents, Ben, uh, if you go to your kid's school, we can't just walk in. We have to stop and say, hey, well, I'm here. I'm here for this reason. Or if you are there to get your child, they will say, wait here, and we will bring them to you. Yes. Um, so I, I think there are a number of things uh, that are are out there that should be being done so that, as as I said, when you when you go to school, when you're at those places, that should be the last thing uh, that you have to to think about is somebody who is not supposed to be there having the ability to get there and trying to stop, uh, you know, people from getting in there and causing harm uh, just because it's pure evil. Uh, you know, again, I don't know what the motivations are. We may never know what yeah. the motivations are. I do know, without a shadow of a doubt, Ben, that anybody that would go in to a school full of kids that are 10, 9, 8, 7, 6 years old and shoot them and kill them. That, that, is, that is pure evil. I'm not going out on a very thick branch, uh, you know, a thin branch, rather, saying that. I, I think we can all agree on that. Yes. Like, that is the epitome yes. of, of evil. Yes. And, and, and that kind of stuff should not happen. Uh, and it should not be allowed to, to have the ability to happen uh, for, again, I don't know the motive other than that's where it was. You know, that's the yeah. school that was there. I, 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 yeah. Again, I don't know the motivations, but I do know uh, it was purely evil that took place uh, in that school yesterday. And that cannot happen to what is, as you said, our pride, our most precious of course uh, i mean i mean i mean and and the, the the crazy i mean i don't i would never ever let social media be my you know social barometer but so i, I read something yesterday that really really disturbed me outside of the shooting it was a, it was a, it was a guy grown man looking at it and his son is standing behind him and his and the son said daddy are you are you crying about what happened in texas and he goes yeah and he said his son said don't worry daddy we practice for that you know how much more that kills his dad? Like, what? Like, we practice for that. Kevin, when me and you were in school, we did the whole, if it's a tornado, they give you the books. You know, you, you go in the hall. That's what, we, that's what we had to practice. And I think that, like you said, there are things in this life that we got to say, all right, man, let's put everything aside. What is the best possible op you know, opportunity for our children to not only get on the bus and go to that school, but come home? Because, I mean, I guess the young man was trying to give his daddy, you know, a daddy, don't worry, we practice this. No, son, like... So I, I agree with you, Kevin. Like you said, it is pure evil. I don't care what no one says. That is pure evil. And I just think that we got to make a decision when you say, when it comes to schools, all bets are off. Like, there, we all have one, you know, it's almost like, not to compare it to it, but when you play sports, we got one main goal. When it comes to these kids, I get it. We have to protect them. And, whatever, and whoever comes up with the best way, it should be across the board because – I, I can't stomach what happened yesterday anymore, man. I, and I can't, I can't keep, you know, I can't keep looking at these things acting as if. Because Kevin, I don't know about you. The first thing you think of, you think of your own kids. You know, that's, they, they're in school while this is happening. And and I think one dude was on the getting the interview yesterday when he said, "Well, I haven't spoken to my kid yet." Quote: I don't know if my kid's one of the ones. Come on, man. We got to do better than that. Well said, Ben. We've got uh, more to get to. Uh, here on the show, we will dive into the sports aspect of it, but did, did want to acknowledge and share our thoughts and prayers and concerns and and, and hope for a better day uh, when it comes to things like that happening. 
uh, in, in this country. We've got more to come. Thanks for being with us here. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, thanks for making us a part of your day. We'll hear from Chris Carlin, host of Carlin and Canty on ESPN Radio. We'll talk some college football with him. Also, uh, Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, will join us. And we'll hear from Clay Helton, who talked with our own Christian Gokel, coming up uh, in the final hour of the program. In case you missed that, uh, we'll have that conversation. He's going to be one of the, then I think, more intriguing guys to to follow in the upcoming college football season because of that transition they're making there uh, at Georgia Southern and kind of maybe the potential direction of that program. Coach Hill is going to be one to watch, Kevin, because, I mean, the one thing about Coach Hill that's standing out that we getting away from, he was the first big fish to fall. Sure. We were thinking, we were saying where is he going to go? Where is he going to go? And let's – and listen, no offense, Jared Binko. I listen. We still, me and Kevin, still coming to your crib because we want to taste, you know, all that, you know, all that, all that, all those different, uh, you know, meats you be, uh, you know, cooking and everything, and oh, yeah. with the jerk and everything. But that was a big get because when Coach Hale got let go for USC, people say, okay, did he stay P five? Did he stay in the Pac twelve? You know, we thought he was going to go to one of the P fives, but you talking about elevating the status quo and resume of the Sun Belt? I mean, dude, they already. You talk about you talk so Billy Napier leaves. You add a coach Helton and the Georgia Southern team. That's you know, like you say, Kevin, real similar to Georgia Tech. What are they going to look like on offense? You know, which obviously getting you know getting the uh, old coordinator. I mean, getting the uh, offensive coordinator for Western Kentucky. You know, these guys going to throw that thing around. But yes, one of the most intriguing teams and figures in college football resides in Statesboro. Absolutely, and again, we'll see what uh, what Clay Helton does when he gets on the field. Going to be a lot of. I think eyeballs watching what the Eagles can do. And if they surprise the folks, again, I don't know if they're going to go and turn into a 9-10 win team, you know, in one season. But, you know, if you can get yourself back in the uh, the bowl picture, a lot of people kind of picking them, at least at this stage, down towards the bottom of the conference. I mean, if you can come out in year one with some upside, going to be very, very uh, interesting to watch. Speaking of upside, Ben, I saw ESPN put out teams that have been disappointing so far uh, in the first little portion of the MLB season. Obviously, the Braves... Are, are up there, but it was one of those nights last night where you're going, uh-oh, here we go. Uh, it, it's it's seemingly there for you to win. Kenley Jansen comes in. Oh, game's over. Nope. Blow the lead. And you're thinking, here, this is just typical. Then you come back in the bottom of the ninth, uh, get some runners on, and William Contreras comes through with the game-winning hit. Ronald Acuna comes around to score. Braves win. Uh, again, dare I say, have a chance to win two games in a row uh, coming up tonight. If they can do that, it gives them a chance to uh, win three games in a row. <gasps> the horrors, uh, if that happens. But, Ben, we've asked this a couple of times. I almost feel ridiculous for even asking this question because we've said it already. What, two or three Is this a potential spark moment to kind of get them going where you played pretty well, you blew it, and you're thinking, here you go, and then came back because that's the – Ninth inning magic we've seen from the Braves in the past uh, offensively, where you get some things that happen, they go your way, and all of a sudden you've turned it around and, and win the baseball game. Is that a spark, or at this point is it just like we'll we'll wait and see? I I think it is a spark, Kevin, because the thing is the thing about this right, it's much easier. Two things: it's much easier to come on the radio to talk about the Braves after a win, just like it's much easier to come back to work after a, after a win. Because Kevin, something you mentioned. They blew the lead, but they still won the game. Now, it's a lot of ebbs and flows in the game. And the thing about baseball that I find to be intriguing, Kevin, and you, 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 you know, you, uh, you won me over with the hardest house is the last six, man. Them, <laughs> I don't know what it is 
it's like, dude, okay, been playing well, playing well. Here comes that eighth. Here comes that dreaded top of the eighth, the bottom of the eighth, or what may have you. The Braves won it. And if you are the Braves, you're saying, all right, because we're, we're, we're figuring out our identity every single game. Sure. And the Braves have proven this year, which is scary. You you look, Kevin, I look up, I see, all right, four to zero. Oh, we're going to win this one. Then I'd be like, oh, four to one, four to two, four to three. And then I, but I think the thing with the Braves are realizing is, look, man, we're still trying to figure it out in all three phases, starting pitching. Obviously, you talk about the you obviously you talk about the lineup and you talk about the bullpen. I think that winning series, we go back and say, okay, this was the good stuff. But if you losing them, you saying it's it's more to, uh, more of a more blame to go around. But Kevin, they won the game, and unfortunately for us, Kevin, we've been here with this Braves team. Now they're starting again to do that whole the most exciting team in, in the ninth <laughs> will be the Braves. But hopefully, they're coming out on the winning end because wins. Hey man, all you, you don't at the end of the day, I don't care how we do it. We just need to do it. We love to do it without extra innings, which they did. But Contreras came up big. They get the win, and now hopefully they get they you know they can go back to back you know with a big win tonight. Yeah, and again, it's it's one of those things. And uh, the Braves are the only team in the majors to not lose three games in a row and not win three games in a row. Ironically, you say who are the teams that have done anything close? The Braves are the only team that have yet to win three games in a row, I believe in all of the majors, and they're the only team that hasn't lost three in a row. To me, not losing three in a row is probably the most impressive thing about all of that because it's very hard to do. The Mets are one. I think the Padres are one. And the Braves. None of those three teams have lost three games in a row, which means you don't have long, prolonged streaks where you're just playing bad baseball. However, the Braves have also not put together more than two days of good baseball. So uh, that's where you kind of get canceled out. But uh, that's one of those weird quirks that I, I think uh, ben, as we mentioned yesterday on the show, the longer it goes on, like I don't care about the hey, the, I'm talking about when you get you get the negative stuff. Like yeah. hey, you haven't yeah. won more than two games in a row. The longer that kind of stuff goes on, I think the more you press. Like okay, we got two. Can we get three and get everybody off our back about this? Um, because again, it's one of those things that's kind of cute and silly early in the season. Then you get to May, you're like, all right, it's kind of annoying. Now you're here at the end of May, and you're like. <laughs> Dude, have we really not won three games in a row yet? Like, like we have not put together what people would consider a winning streak uh, at this point. You're better. We talking about you're better than that, and so I think that's one of those. The longer it goes on, with hey, we haven't won three in a row, we haven't lost three in a row, but we haven't won three days in a row. Like, do you start to press even in that? It's like, hey, we have not been able to put together a winning streak, or. Do you look at it and say, we're better than this and it's going to happen? I, I, I hope they take the, the latter approach where they say, look, we are a better baseball team than what we've showed. The wins are going to come. I think especially in this stretch. The Phillies, record-wise, are probably the best team they're going to play for the next month. Mm-hmm. No question. Uh, th- th- this is the best team you're going to play. And the Phillies have a similar record to the Braves. They're both under 500. But this is the best team you're going to play for a month. Uh, if you could take three out of four in this series – it stands to reason you could turn a corner and play some good baseball against some bad baseball teams upcoming. I mean, I mean, you hope so, right, Kevin? You hope so. But this is the thing about the Braves, too. If you are a Braves fan, if you cover the Braves, watch the Braves, didn't the Braves go win-loss, win-loss for a long time last year? That win one, lose one, win one, lose one. I don't know why every every season has a theme with this Braves. Because this now, they've won the NL East the last four years. But, Kevin, you know that like I know. It wasn't pretty now. It's not like it was. A, it was a lot of ugly times, but the Braves. I think the Braves know this. We're gonna figure it out. 
Like even with the newcomers, we're we're gonna figure it out. We're gonna we're gonna listen. Basically, the basically the Mets driving down the street and they keep looking behind them, and the Braves are getting smaller. But as long as but the Braves go as long as they can see us in their rear view, we got a striking chance. Now if they go over that hill and we can't see them, that's a little bit different. But I do think Kevin, the thing about this Braves team is they have earned the national. Benefit of the doubt. People outside the organization just think, hey, man, they're just not playing well. How many teams are underwhelming? And you go, oh, that's, you know, the Mets, they, come on, man. I'd rather the Mets, which I am not rooting for the Mets by no means, but I, I'd rather the Mets peak right now, Kevin, because, you know, I don't want, you don't want to peak early in baseball. You don't want to look good before the All-Star break and fall off a cliff. For those of you who don't know what I mean, when the Nets won the World Series, Right. For the all-star break, they had the same record as Detroit. They had the same Detroit. Yes, that yeah. Detroit. Who were the worst in baseball, I, I, I believe, yeah. Exactly. So I, I do know that because the Braves have really essentially been through it all, this is the first time, this is the encore. When, when you're talking about it, it is obviously it's very, very hard to repeat in sports, no matter what level it is. But the Braves are finding a way. And I, like I say, Kevin, if they could just scratch and claw, because when June come. That's when you know people start saying, "Hey, man, uh, need to start that kicking cushion, that cushion. <laughs> that cushion is getting smaller as the day goes on." And hopefully, you know, I don't be yeah. business, you know be rocking with the squad back there. You because Kevin, what it, what it really is, we don't got that that pessimism coming from P- BJ right now saying, <laughs> "Oh my God, is that what we're, is that what we're missing on the show?" Is the oh the sky is yeah, falling yeah, because, 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 because this is what happens, you know. You'll bring it. You listen. You'll open up the show, <laughs> and then BJ will cut you off. Well, they lost last night, and you go, <laughs> "Okay, BJ, we were." But think about this. I mean, is there is, is there a longer season than watching every scrutinizing a hundred and sixty sure. games? I can't do it. But at the end of the day, it's only one defending World Series champ. That's right, right? Mets fans, eat your heart out. Y'all are not. Y'all are not winning it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I, I, I I feel firm in saying that, but I worry about what I can control, which is just watching them Braves and doing my best to after the after the eighth inning, Kevin say, just get the three outs. Yeah. Let's go home. But they did get the win. It's much easier to go back to the drawing board after them. Over 162 days, you're bound to stink once or twice. I mean you know. <laughs> and, and listen, listen, word, listen and that, is words of wisdom, that is words of wisdom for all Kevin. 162 days, you're bound to stink at least once or twice. No, I think that's yeah. words of wisdom for everybody. I don't care if you're yeah. if you're if you're an architect or you work at a bank or you know, pest control, whatever. Over the course of the year, you're bound to probably stink at your job once or twice, at least. I mean, nobody has the A game every single day. That's all I'll say about that. I probably just made a lot of people mad, but you know. Well, hold on, hold on. And, Kevin, and, Kevin, and Kevin, if you made them mad, it's because you're telling the truth. <laughs> we need to stop this. We need to stop. There are no participation trophies. Just showing up is not it. You got to, hey, man, I showed up to work on time. Well, did you work? Wait a minute, I got I to work too? Yeah, everybody yeah, has those days sure. where you're just like, I don't know what I'm feeling like today. You work, you take, listen, if, if a lunch break is an hour, yeah, it's an hour. Not an hour and a half. <laughs> we got to do, we gotta do our part, man. That's all I'm saying. We got more to come here on the show. We'll hear from Chris Carlin, ESPN Radio, host of Carlin and Canty, which you can hear uh, weekdays following us here on three and out. So we'll talk some college football with him. He's also the voice of Rutgers. So uh, he's got some insight into college football. We'll get his thoughts on the NIL, the changing landscape as it could be in college football as well. So we'll hear from Chris Carlin. When we come back, it's three and out on the Southern pigskin radio network here on the Southern pigskin radio network. Kevin Thomas here with you. And again, as we count down to, uh, to college football, uh, the excitement continues to, to build. Obviously, 
We're just a couple of months away from the, all the media kickoffs and the, the brave new world that we find ourselves in here uh, in college athletics. And uh, joining us here on the program, you'll hear him afternoons uh, with Chris Canty, uh, the host of the Carlin and Canty Show. Chris Carlin uh, joins us here on 3 and Out. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, Kevin. How you doing? Uh, we're, we're doing fantastic, and I know uh, in addition to that, uh, folks may not know, you also the, the voice of, of Rutgers, and uh, it seems in the last, what, year and a half, two years, we have really fast-tracked a lot of things in college football from uh, should they be paid, should they be compensated, to NIL, to collectives set up around college athletics. From your standpoint, as someone who's around it uh, in the Northeast, obviously here in the South, uh, things get ramped up to 10 when it comes to college football. How do you see this? Uh, affecting the the landscape of, of college football as we as we move forward. Well, I think in some ways it levels the playing field, and in some ways it actually creates more distance. Right? Um, I think it's good, first of all, that student athletes have this opportunity to make some money, considering what the structure has been for so long. And I think that's a great thing. What you don't love is that there are now so many cooks in the kitchen in terms of trying to get these NIL deals done uh, with you know coaches and now down to boosters and what kind of collectives they can put together and all that. I, listen, I want to see the best competition possible on the field, and if that means that that you know, players are finally going to get what they're due. That's great. I, I just hate to see situations like we saw in Pittsburgh, where um, you know Jordan Addison, the wide receiver at Pitt, the Bolitnikoff Award winner, is the best receiver in the country, ends up at USC because he's got a deal where he's got you know two million dollars uh, potentially in NIL deals and maybe a house involved, but. Um, I also think it's smart to look at it from the, his standpoint of, hey, I just lost Kenny Pickett. Uh, I need to make sure when I'm trying to get drafted, I have the best numbers possible. So it, it ends up beneficial for him. I just wonder in the long term if this is going to end up being the perfect system for that as much as I feel like players should get paid. Oh, no, you're right. I, I, I think, uh, as you said, it, I, I've mentioned several times here, it started out as, hey, Players, first it was, hey, we just want some some dollars to be able to do some of the things that every college player does to, hey, we deserve a shot to all of a sudden uh, it is, hey, there's a deal being set up before you even go over here that I, I think drives a lot of fans crazy. It's not that they don't care, that they, they care that college athletes are getting paid. I think uh, if it becomes a bidding situation, I would think certain schools will look at it and say, how are we ever going to compete if you're a uh, Duke or a Wake Forest when a larger college, potentially in a major market, comes uh, comes a calling with a sweeter deal? Well, that's exactly what Nick Saban was doing last week, was calling on his, you know, his boosters to step up and do the job, but also, uh, you know, lawmakers in Alabama to try to level the playing field there because, you know, right now players from Alabama uh, cannot – accept money in an NIL deal from any booster of the university. So, like, there are different rules all over the place, and I think you're going to hear a lot of people complain about the system as is, which I just, that's tough to take for me, especially from Nick Saban. If you you want to complain about your lot in life, that's fine, but understand that you've had a massive advantage for a long, long time. Oh, absolutely right. And that was one of the things I wanted, I did want to ask. Obviously, you're there 
broadcasting for, with a school like Rutgers. And in just this age of college football, how does Rutgers compete? Should that be the mindset? Hey, we're, we're going to compete to win a Big Ten championship. Is that is that a realistic thing? Is that something they should strive for? Or is it, hey, if we have a window, we got to take advantage of it. And more often than not, we're going to be chasing the Michigans, the Ohio States of the world. Well, I think in a couple of years, it's something that's realistic. Um, they have continued to improve under Greg Schiano, And with the system the way it is now, you know, they're obviously going to have to do more. It's going to be an even bigger challenge. They've had boosters who have formed uh, collectives as well. But uh, the one thing I would say is I've, I've watched Greg Schiano do it at Rutgers before. Uh, his first time around, uh, when everybody thought it was not possible to do in terms of building a program that could compete for conference championships. So I'm not going to sell him short, but there's no question that the mountain is taller this time uh, when you're talking about dealing with Ohio State and Michigan. Chris Carlin joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Chris, you look at just college football. Obviously, we view it somewhat differently depending on what region of the country you're from. But at the health of the game, where do you feel it's at? Obviously, athletes are uh, in a in a brave new world here where they're getting compensated for their abilities. The average college football fan, depending on what region of the country of, uh, you're in, where do you think the country at large views kind of college football where we're trying to be sold on teams have a chance versus, hey, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, uh, the same seven or eight teams seem to be showing up uh, more often than not in that discussion. Uh, listen, I think it's it's great that you saw Cincinnati this year do what they did. And I think that's incredibly important. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you they can never win a national championship or, or any team like that can never win a national championship, but they showed you can compete for one uh, at the very least. And that speaks volumes to me about where we've come. I think the health of the game is pretty good itself. It's just, it's so difficult to predict how this is going to affect things here in the next couple of years. Is it going to make it more lopsided or not? Really what is becoming clear is for the teams that uh, are not, that are Division One teams that are not in a Power Five conference that may find it more difficult to come up with um, money among boosters that really, you know, have to fight for it, I think that's where it's going to get a little bit more challenging. It's just, you know, I'll give you an example. Maryland is a team that has uh, there's a program that theoretically should have a lot of big money with Under Armour and Kevin Plank uh, behind that. But how much of a difference is that ultimately going to make in NIL deals? I, I don't know the answer to that, and that's one of those kind of programs that you want to see. Where, are they capable of taking that next step? We'll see. Chris Carlin joining us here on 3 and Out. And just along uh, the, the money lines of it, how do you think college football sustains uh, from a financial competitive standpoint? I know, obviously, in you know the pros, you have revenue sharing. In uh, college football, you have conference revenue sharing. And we saw the, the numbers come out from the COVID year, and the SEC is making, what, twice as much uh, as the Pac-12. The, the SEC and the Big Ten stand to make way more than the Big 12, Pac-12, and uh, and the ACC, how do how do you stay competitive in an environment like that? Well, two things. Number one, I'm I'm not going to be surprised if I either see the Power Five break away or three super conferences within a few years. I 
think that the Pac-12 eventually and the Big 12 uh, eventually are going to go away. And you might be talking about, you know, the SEC, the Big Ten, and the ACC becoming all that much uh, bigger. Um, I could see a, a scenario where you have teams in the Pac-12 that the Big 12, uh, the Big Ten is going to salivate over, like Cal and Stanford, the kind of programs they are, USC, UCLA. Like, I could see that. I think geographically it's out the window. Um, but I would not be surprised to see it break away from the NCAA, the Power Five schools as they are right now, or certainly the three big power conferences and see them break away. I would be shocked if we don't have that kind of a dramatic change within five to ten years. Oh, definitely see that coming. And has there ever been a more toothless governing body than the NCAA right now? I think when it comes to football, I don't really know how they can claim to have any power right now when all the conferences, as as the whole thing is structured, really have all of the power. So, you know, it's uh, the NCAA in, in so many ways has really just not acquitted themselves very well of running uh, collegiate sports. And I think in, in some ways you're going to see that really – I think in the next couple of years, you're going to see that really come back and, and bite them. Absolutely. Uh, Chris Carlin joining us here on 3 and Out. You can hear me, co-host of Carlin and Canty. Tell us about the, uh, the the show. Obviously, I know folks have heard you uh, in, in the Mike and Mike time slot and others, but uh, obviously you and Chris Canty are going to settle in there and, and do your thing. Tell us a little bit about the show. You know, Chris and I uh, are two guys that uh, I've known Chris for a while, and I think we have um, – some different sensibilities. He obviously having a tremendous career with the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Ravens, and uh, me not having a tremendous career with any of those three teams. Um, you know, if Chris can put up with my idiocy, which uh, so far it appears that he can, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. And, you know, he's just he's so smart and so insightful. I think fans are going to really uh, get a chance to enjoy a show where we don't take ourselves too seriously. But at the same time, in the big stories of the day, we're going to give you a little bit different of a perspective than you're going to get somewhere else. More than anything, it's just going to be fun because we're not splitting the atom here. <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, we're, we're talking about sports, having a great time. Chris Carlin, our guest. Chris, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me, man. We appreciate it. Chris Carlin joining us here. You can catch him on Carlin and Canty uh, in the evenings right here after 3 and Out. We've got more to come here. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Welcome back to 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. We'll hear from Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, coming up next hour. Also from Clay Helton. And we'll also weigh in on you know, old Lane Kiffin. He's got thoughts, and he always is going to, uh, to weigh in. But, Ben, we're talking with Chris Carlin. Your thoughts there especially about what he said at the end, where he said, look, next couple of years, don't be surprised. It's because of the finances. You don't see the Power Five potentially become the Power Three, and you just see a conglomeration of, I guess, I don't even want to call them mega conferences or super conferences at that point, but you can see the he, he kind of left the ACC in there to, I guess, absorb some, but a, a dissolution of a Power Five basically to a, a Super Three. I, I can see it happening, Kevin, because look at the reflection of the college football playoff. I mean, the farthest – it's not – it's not it, it doesn't have any representation for one whole side of the country, and that's not that's not simply going to change anytime soon. With the best shot, the best shot the Pac-12 will have 
is what maybe an Oregon, maybe a Utah. Because if the if the top teams that it being USC hasn't been relevant long enough to even make a jump at the college football playoff, you know, Kevin, the money is going to be too hard to resist. The SEC said we're going to go ahead and get Texas, and Oklahoma. So we got the two flagship universities in these two states. The Big Twelve goes, dude. What else we got? You don't. I mean, you, you have no leg to stand on because your two cash cows literally, and don't. And if I'm not mistaken, Texas had the Longhorn Longhorn Network, so I can see that happening, Kevin. And the thing, so what's going to happen now is, is how fast can we start making sure we get in the good graces of a Big Ten or 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 an ACC? Because if Kevin, you know, just like I know, why they have college football on the West Coast, it is dominated in the East Coast, and unfortunately. That might be coming. That might we, if they mad now, they really gonna get mad here in, in, in about a couple of years or so. Ben just slammed the entire West Coast. You don't play football. No, 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 no. Kevin, quick, show what I mean. Football's played on the oh, East Kevin, Coast. Kevin, Kevin, show you what I mean. If you go to a Georgia game, you think you'll find parking if the game has already started? No. No. I was I was in Palo Alto when Andrew Luck was at Stanford. When he's at Stanford, I'm driving around. It was parking everywhere. I mean, I said, "Is it again?" It's different. It's I'm I'm just saying. Love the West Coast teams. I know I often have West Coast fans coming at me. I'm not. I love football like that. But Kevin, you know, just like I know, this train is gonna slow down for you to get on because when it take off, that fare is gonna be a little bit more steep once it take off. Oh, I mean, the best thing that has been said in all of this is this is a billion, and I say that with a B, billion dollar game of musical chairs. And the worst thing that can happen is the music stops and you got nowhere to sit down. Right? I mean, that's that, That's what this is turning into. And, Kevin, at the end of the day, the, the players don't care as long as they're playing big-time football. They, they they really don't care like that. Let, let's just call it what the fans care way more than the players do. Oh, 100%. I, 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 I've always said that. I said, uh, you know, I've, I've had experiences, and you have, obviously, being a former college player that, you go after a big game or, or something like that, and the fans take it way harder than the the young men who played. I, I, I'll never forget. Uh, had an opportunity to go watch Tennessee, Georgia, up in Knoxville, see what you know Rocky Top was all about, and see if I got time to tell a story in one minute. And Georgia wins the game. It was kind of back and forth. I'm trying to think it was uh, – was it Casey, not Casey Clawson, Rick Clawson was Tennessee's quarterback, and I can't remember. It might have been Joe Cox or somebody. I'm, I'm trying to think for, for Georgia. Anyway, Georgia wins the game. Uh, and big, you know, big win. Uh, it was a 3.30 game of the day. And I'm like, man, people are upset. You know, Georgia won the game. We go down um, after the game, down by the, the players' tunnel, where the players come out after the game. Um, and... My sister worked for the University of Tennessee at the time, and some of the players come out, and she's talking to him, and she's like, that was tough. And i never forget this. First thing out of the player's mouth, yeah, I kind of hope I played a little bit more, but I just didn't get out there a whole lot. What you going to do now? I'm going to go back to the room and watch football. The end. Like, you know, it didn't take it as hard as I thought, other than, like, thought I might get a few extra snaps. Didn't get out there. We'll come back, take three around the corner. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on this Wednesday, Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, Hour 2. We'll hear from Rich Tiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Uh, coming up in just a little bit, we'll look at the Falcons and their OTAs. Big offseason for a number of Atlanta Falcons. We'll get to that coming up 
in just a little bit as well. We'll hear from Clay Helton. If you missed that with our own Christian Gokel, he had a chance to speak with the head football coach of the Georgia Southern Eagles. We'll get to that uh, conversation in the final hour. And also Lane Kiffin weighing in on some potential downfalls and pluses of the NIL and what we could see in college football this season. So we'll get to that coming up in the final hour of the program. But first, let's take three here on three and out. All right, Ben, take one. Which ACC team has the biggest upside in 2022? Not who's going to win it, but a team that you look at and say, if things go right, they're really going to overachieve here in 2022. I think 2021, we would have said Pitt, right? Then look at how it turned out, won the ACC. Yeah, it could be Miami. I'm going to say, and then maybe I could say this every year, and you're, everybody's going to laugh that follows this show because of what I'm about to say. It could be NC State. <laughs> I know I got my love for Dave Dorn. And again, people misconstrue that. I love Dave Dorn. He's just not, to me, the most excitable guy that's out there. But I think it could be NC State, right? I mean, you have a good offensive line. You lost a quantum to the NFL draft, but you got a good nucleus returning. Defensively, you've been solid for a number of years. If you can get over that Clemson hump, I think NC State is kind of in the – we haven't made a verb for it yet, Ben, so I'll say in the Clemsoning mode where they'll play pretty well and they just lose a game or two and you're like, how did that happen? If they can get over that hump, I will go with NC State as the most upside in 2022. What about the SEC, Ben? This is take two. Which SEC team has the most upside in 2022? Haven't made it to, I still haven't won the win, but I, I, I just think at the end of the day, when you think about this, um, when you think about the Texas a and team, they're gonna have to go out there and show and prove Kevin. Kevin perception is reality, right? So, number one recruiting class in 2022. I don't know how many of those guys gonna play. Replacing a lot on offense. Guess what? Don't matter. I need Texas a is gonna have to go out there and show because LSU has shown it. Arkansas has shown it. Ole Miss has looked good. Texas A&M, but not Arkansas, Ole Miss, LSU are not number one in recruiting. They're not talking trash to Nick Saban. They're not calling Nick Saban God and all this for me. It, be, it better be them. It better be them boys from College Station, man, showing a lot of improvement, a lot of upside. Come twenty twenty two. Then I'm going to say Tennessee. Yeah, I think they're a team that has a lot of uh, new faces over the last couple of years. 
And I think the biggest thing they have going for them is belief. Belief they think they can win. I don't know if they think, hey, toe-to-toe Georgia, Alabama just yet. But there is a belief that they can win. Uh, You go back and look at it, I think maybe it's unfounded. They beat some teams that probably weren't very good. They beat a lot of teams. You go back and look at their wins last year. They beat a lot of teams that were not bowl eligible. They beat a lot of teams that were right around 500. But that, to me, is irrelevant. It's that belief you can win. And he turned it around and got that. I'm going to say Tennessee, my pick, with the most upside. Got an experienced quarterback. You got an up-tempo offense that's going to give people problems. I'm going to say Tennessee with the most upside. All right, then, finally, take three. This is really not even for me, I guess, because, well, I didn't go through it. So, I really don't care. Uh, So, but for your experience, how beneficial are OTAs? We got teams going through them uh, right now. Of course, they are voluntary. But how beneficial do you think they are at the end of the day? Well, for those of you who think, what's the OTA? OTA is just an organized team activity, a.k.a. a practice. And that and, and, and the wording is something. Organized means, hey, man, they're coming in, you know, volunteering. We ain't making them come in. They're very beneficial. Because this is the thing about the National Football League. You want to make sure that you're trending in the right direction. You want to make sure you're grasping not just the offense, but your role in the offense or the defense or the specials or what may have you. And I want to know, am I on the outside of this thing looking in, or do I really have a shot to make this team? OTAs will tell you a lot of that stuff because everything is fast moving. They're throwing a lot of information at you. When you don't got on pads, you can do a lot more. Injuries are down. You know, guys can go out there and really get a lot of work in. But your organized team activities, they're very, very beneficial. Because, Kevin, like I said, the great Keith Bullock, I'm always giving these players, you know, Hugh Douglas is, you know, missing, you know, money and memories. The great Keith Bullock said every day in football is an audition. You want to make sure that those coaches are putting you in the show. And, and the thing is, if you think doubt creeps in before the draft, all these draft picks, all that stuff that – all that red ink that they ain't let you see that part of your folder. Everything is all hunky dory now because you on the team. But now we paying you to do this. You got to pick up what we're putting down. You got to be able to translate this information off the field to on the field from the practice. I mean, from the from the uh, film room to the to the to the to the practice field. And and unfortunately for a lot of these players, they got the talent. They can't pick up the terminology. And I know people are like, what do you mean? Some of this stuff forget hard to learn. Some of it is hard to say. It's hard to even spit this stuff out. So OTAs, look, if they got involved in the NFL, whether you like it or not, it's all important. It's all relevant. Because every time they click on, every time they turn on that, that clicker, you better be standing out. Because if not, you want to meet with your position coach, you know, and maybe the old coordinator. If the head man call you in there, those are the type of conversations you want to have. The head man should not be having one-on-ones. OTAs are extremely important. It took me all of one year to understand. When I seen Steve McNair and, those, and uh, Derek Mason and those guys out there, veterans now, big pro bowl. Steve McNair, super, I mean, uh, MVP, they take that stuff dead serious because getting better at what you do, the only way you're going to do it is get out there and do it. OTAs, organized team activities, a.k.a. another word for practice. Then what about the guys that don't go, though, right? I mean, I know that you see that every year. It's like it's it's yeah. more a story about who's not there yeah. than who is there sometimes. But uh, you said, hey, it's important. What about guys that aren't there? It is voluntary. It is. But do you take any kind of – I won't say offense because that's probably the, yeah. a too harsh a word. But do you kind of look at it any certain way when it's like, hey, man, that guy is not good enough to not be here? No, I don't. 
because listen, you're you're a pro. I will say this though. You better be a highly productive, highly recognizable, and a leader on this team. Meaning, if you don't show up to OTAs, when you do show up for mandatory minicamp, you better be ready. And I think the thing is, though, Kevin, the guys who don't show up, they're big names. You know, it's not like, you know, it's going to be a Kyler Murray. You know, it's going to be guys like that. It's not going to be, you know, uh, Kyler Smith, who just got drafted. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Show me how many first and second year guys don't show up to OTAs. Let fear be your guide. Just because you don't have to show up, and the word uh, Jonathan Vilma, it's it's mandatory, not mandatory. It's 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 mandatory voluntary workouts. You better get your behind there because you ain't got no enough stripes on the wall to be saying, "Hey man, where you was at? We had practice today, and they volunteered." And then what coach said, "What? I gotta go." Uh oh. You don't. I don't want to be in lingo. Get your at this thing. You're a football player. What else are you doing? Like. Hey, man, they practice today. No, that's them. All right. I mean, if I play football for a living, I need to be out there running around. So I'd rather be answering questions about the guy who is not there than to be the reason why I didn't, didn't have people answer questions why I am not there. I I don't, I, I wasn't that type of player, Kevin. I'm there. I'm talking trash, but I have my behind up in that facility running around. That's take three. We do it each and every day here at this time. We've got so much to get to. We'll talk more about OTAs because the Falcons are there. And Ben, as you said, it's a big, big thing for a couple of guys on this Falcons team. As you said, you want to be on the inside, not on the outside. There's a couple of guys that might be coming in to this thing going, this could be it if I don't get it turned around going into year two, year three. We'll talk about that when we come back as the Falcons they're in, they're enjoying OTAs. How about that? We'll come back. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We are streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Go to our YouTube channel at ESPN Coastal there on YouTube. We'd love to have you follow along there as well. It's three and out. We're coming right back on this Wednesday afternoon. Good to have you back here on three and out. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We'll hear from Rich Stiles coming up in just a little bit. We'll talk some golf with him. But uh, Ben OTA is going on, as well. we mentioned, the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, in the middle of those, and this offseason's big for a number of guys. We've talked about, hey, the Falcons need more here. We talked about Deion Jones maybe on his way out of the uh, Atlanta Falcons, which means another opportunity for somebody else. A guy like Richie Grant saw Arthur Smith quoted saying, look, it's time for him to step up and own it. Do I want to be in every down safety? I mean, he was a second-round pick, Ben. As you, as you said plenty of times, second-round guys are starters, and he has yet to kind of fall into that role. Uh, to be an every-down guy. He's one of those guys you were just talking about. On the, I wouldn't say he's on the outside looking in, but this is a year that could make or break whether he stays with the Falcons, much less stays in the National Football League, right? Yeah, Kelly, and the thing about Richie Grant, I mean, it was second-round pick coming out of UCF a year ago. I mean, Paul Hawking, uh, saved him, but a guy that, once again, the speed of the game wasn't something he was able to pick up, but look at what they gave him. I'm going to go along with A.J. Terrell. They gave him Casey Hayward. I got his, you know, uh, you know, all-pro, former all-pro cornerback Casey Hayward coming in. So he's giving him tease Tabor. So he's giving him veterans to kind of show him, hey, man, this is what it's going to take to be able to be on that back end. I get the aggressiveness of what he showed at UCF. But if you can't cover guys in the NFC South, if you can't cover these, these tight ends running down the seam, if you can't cover, you know, nothing cheap, nothing deep, being that eighth man in the box, it's going to be much to know about nothing. But, Kevin, the guy, 
that you know we really haven't said a lot about his first two years is Marlon Davidson. Like another second round pick coming out of Auburn. People was like, oh man, you're getting some beef. Kind of like a much bigger than Grady Jarrett, but the production hasn't been to know he's coming off an injury. One sack in two years, that's not gonna work. You know, Taquan Graham, another guy at the defensive tackle position. And the reason why I be saying more interior. Until Lorenzo Carter and company prove that they can go out there and get continuous pressure, it's going to have to come from the inside. You mentioned Deion Jones. Who's going to replace him? Rashad Evans that came over, the linebacker that came over from Tennessee. And I will say a lot of times it's easy to go to the second-year guys, third-year guys. Some of these veterans can Cordell Patterson show. Because the guy, to me, got to step up the most. And I know people, I know people going to think I'm crazy. It's Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts had one of the greatest seasons you ever seen as a tight end. He had one – he had one uh, touchdown. And, Kevin, that's that perception thing I'm talking about. These fantasy football owners, they got you fooled. Yes, he's lighting it up for them, but the scoreboard still says zero. So, Kyle Pitts got to light it up again because you got a very, very inexperienced receiving court. And all the, you know, all the tape, you talk about a guy like Cordell Patterson who, I mean, he, he was Mr. Everything. And, Kevin, I looked at the depth chart. <clears throat> they got Cordell Patterson listed at the starting running back position. I don't. Somebody gonna have to step up in that running back room because Cordell, I love him, but Cordell went out there and tested free agency and realized, hey man, we gonna pay you as a receiver. You ain't gonna pay me for everything. Uh, no, we got running backs on our team already. We gonna put you at receiver. So I say Kyle Pitts, as you mentioned, Richie Grant, you know, Taquan Graham. I mean, guy like uh, uh, you know, Marlon Davidson. But it's a lot of guys. It, it's much better if they do it as a collective effort, Kevin. But Richie Grant, I will say, whenever the head coach is calling you out in OTAs, sir, you are on his radar. No, he did not draft you, but you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to pay some dividends. For uh, well, again, but again, I, I think for guys like that, you mentioned Marlon Davidson. That's why I bring those guys up specifically because you're at that point where the teams look, and you know how this goes. The teams looking at you saying, "Look." We get you needed some development. You need some development. You need some development. We're going into year two, what, two for Marlon Davidson, year three. You've had injuries for Marlon Davidson. Year three for Ricky, uh, Richie Grant. At what point does the team go, listen, we're, we're trying here. You are giving us uh, a lot to work with. Uh, the production's not coming up. I mean, this is a – I'm not saying that – obviously, Kyle Pitts, you threw him in there. He's not in danger of getting cut. No, no. But this is a thing where are you just a, are you just a guy that catches a bunch of passes? Are you a guy that impacts the, the scoreboard? I think you look at the, the guys you, you like to mention a lot on the show, the Cooper Cups and guys like that. They're guys that catch a lot of passes, and they impact uh, the scoreboard. So, uh, to me, uh, Richie Grant, you need to be out there starting. And now you say, well, you got to – no. You were a second-round draft pick. They saw something in you. You should be a starter right now. Marlon Davidson, you are a second-rounder out of Auburn as a defensive tackle. Well, I got you are getting beat out by Taquan Graham. You are getting beat out by Taquan Graham. You are a second round pick. Grady Jarrett's not going anywhere. Step up and 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 earn that spot. Uh, to me, Ben, that is those are the guys that I look at and say, it's not just can you be a starter, can you stay on this roster if you are not uh, obviously getting the returns of what the the, the Falcons invested you of two second round picks. Yeah, Kevin, and you you want listen, listen, that return on investment. Bottom line, Richie Grant, you were a top 64 pick coming out of college two years ago. You're gonna have to find a way to get it done. The NFL is unforgiving. No one cares about the uh, the learning curve, no one cares about the speed of the game. Bottom line is, can you produce? This is a production 
driven. No, 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 no. Let me say it that way. Any high-paying uh, uh, occupation is a production-driven. Is is production-driven. So if you're not, if you're not producing, as you mentioned, Kevin, this is what they do in the NFL. That's all right, Richie. Do you want us to show your tape for everybody to see on the team, or do you want us to just go to the meeting to the to the defensive back meeting room? Because if you are a second round pick and you are not producing for us, that's why you lose. If the draft picks don't pan out, that's why you lose. So right now, Marlon Davidson haven't got a lot. Richie Richie Grant, we don't really know what you are, right? Right now, that so I just think Deion Jones probably gonna, probably not going to be a Falcon come June first, right? It's going to be a huge turnover, but guess what? Outside of Joe Burrow, outside of Chase, outside of you know Chase and Higgins and company, I don't know nobody played for Cincinnati and they went to the Super Bowl. So th- that's kind of like where you are. And I'm not saying Atlanta's going to take that big of a jump, but Kevin, this time last year, I, if you would have told me Cincinnati going to be in the Super Bowl, I would have let what the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm just telling you the thing about this Falcons team is. You can get some. You can listen. You can get some gelling on the defensive side of the ball. You can get some structure on the offensive side of the ball. Cause Young Way Koo, all I'm saying is he's a weapon, and you can't even utilize him because you can't get past the fifty consistently. I'm just saying it's a lot of guys. But Richie Grant, your name came out the mouth of the head coach. If you didn't know, if you didn't know you up, you up now. Cause Kevin, while you want to give these first and second round picks a longer time. The frustration grows with them quicker because their talent level ain't matching their draft status at this point. And again, I know people say, well, who cares if they're drafted in the second or third town? But but I do think there's something to that. The amount of capital they invested in you to take you has got to show up. Obviously, OTAs, you're not going hard at it. But uh, this is a guy that you need to become a playmaker. Uh, he was a guy that when they, he was drafted, hey, he's a big safety from Central Florida, a program that wins. Uh, they've had a lot of success. He can come in and be one of the key guys on the back end. And as you said, ben, it's not like you look around and say, you're, you're playing safety with no help. You had an all-pro caliber corner on one side. You got what well, Casey Hayward coming, who's been yeah. a veteran of this league. You have guys around you who know how to play, all right, who are, who are good quality players. You need to figure out how to fit in into that, and I think if if he does, and you get, so you could be a better defense. the The question is, will it work out that way? Again, name the last guy that seemingly worked out along a defensive front. When you talk about, hey, we want Marlon Davidson to step up. Okay, well, what about what Deidrean uh, Sanat, who they got out of South Florida? Well, that never happened. You get uh, just guy after guy after guy who you're trying to get developed. And I think again, when you drafted Marlon Davidson, you really thought, man, we have solidified the inside of that line, and we can take a step forward. And and he has been injured and hadn't been able to do it. Yeah, Kevin, listen, it's, it's unforgiving. It's the National Football League. Every day you're getting evaluated to be able to make sure that we made the right decision or do we need to find a way to go ahead and cut bait? Because the thing is, they're going to give you a chance to go out there and prove them right. Only you can do that. But as you mentioned, Kevin, when you start talking about you know, uh, Marlon Davis going into year three, the injury bug, one sack, getting beat out by Taquan Graham. Talk about a guy like Deion Jones, probably not going to be here. Richie Grant, they're giving you a they're giving you a shutdown corner, and they're giving you an old veteran, you know, to kind of show you how to you know to show you how to go out there and get things done. It's going to be on you. You did, you know, you haven't forgot how to play football. You know they're going to come at you. Go out there and make a play. So 
I, I like OTAs because it gives you a barometer of where you are individually and where we are collectively as a team. You just got to find a way to go out there and prove to these coaches why they are making a good decision because you are already in year two and we have nothing to show for it in year one. You're going to have to start showing some level of improvement, and that's the one thing I, I benefit the most from uh, National Football League is it's cutthroat because it has to be, not because it want to be. Everybody's on the chopping block because if you don't pan out and I'm the one that went to bat for you to get you drafted, they're going to get rid of you. And I got to put a for sale sign in my yard too. Cause I mean, that's, but that's how it goes, Kevin. Think about this. When quarterbacks pan out, head coaches and GMs, they get contract extensions. And when they don't, that GM and that head coach, when they let go of him, they're going to let go of that GM and that head coach too. Don't think Arthur Blank don't know what's going on if you want to. Yeah. Okay. He's ben, just handing out checks these days. Ben, I was going to say, how different is the National Football League from college? And I'll say it in this respect. Obviously, Billy Napier comes in. People will look at it and say, all right, you got Urban Meyer's players there. Uh, we're going to give you some time to recruit your guys, develop your program, this and that. So, in essence, you're saying you're not really responsible to the extreme extent of the guys that were there before you got there and were brought in by a previous regime. In the pros, is that the case? Are we are we looking at Arthur Smith and saying we're really evaluating you through the guys you've brought in, and that's it, not the guys that were already here? How do you think when you evaluate what he and Terry Fontenot, probably more so Arthur Smith, are doing? Is it the full evaluation, or do you look at it and say, "Hey, you did the best you could with Deion Jones. We're going to let him go, uh, and now we're going to bring in a guy, what Troy Anderson, who you wanted and got in the draft." Do you, do you think it works the same way in the pros of we're going to evaluate you through the guys you said you wanted and we brought in, or is it here's your roster, we're evaluating go? And we'll, we'll evaluate and go, Kevin, because you're the head coach of the Falcons. Like, bottom line, this is who you got, right? And if we're getting rid of guys, we're getting rid of them because we want them to fit your mode of play. Because sometimes you don't fit the mode of player. The thing that Arthur Smith got to understand this as well is the league is getting better and you're not. Your division is getting better, and you're not. And right, wrong, and indifferent. Nobody got mad at John Gruden when he came in. He got traded from Oakland to, to, to Tampa Bay and won Super Bowl, right? That, that People say, oh, that's Tony Dungeon dude. Uh-uh, because Tony Dungeon was here last year and didn't win it. So don't give me that. And I just think that if you want, if you want the glory that comes with success, you got to deal with the pitfalls of failure. And the thing about it is, Kevin, this is the same Arthur Smith that did not play his starters last year in the preseason. And what would you say, Kevin? Like, what is he? Think about this. You don't got to be a head coach and say, that don't make no sense. You're new, and you're going to let the guys just chill. This is Atlanta now. Everybody needs reps. So I think with Arthur Smith, he needs to know, too. Let's not forget when he got when he got the head coach job, it was a bunch of head scratching going on because he had Derrick Heron, 2,000-yard rusher, and Ryan Tannehill handing the ball off to him. Well, this year you were handing the ball off to a receiver, and your number one receiver was a tight end. I'm telling you. You got rid of Julio Jones in one year. You got rid of Matty Ice next year. It's going to be Deion Jones this year. He better find a way to win, Kevin, because if not, you gonna, it's going to go from, hey, man, everybody's being evaluated, and Arthur Blank going to say, and you too. Oh, don't thank you. So we, we'll see, but this is going to be a very interesting 2022. Got more to come here on 3 and Out. We'll come back, talk a little golf with our own Rich Styles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show next here on 3 and Out. Good to have you along here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. Streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks for uh, for joining us here. Golf just coming off of its uh, most recent major, the PGA Championship, uh, taking place. Justin Thomas 
comes out and wins that one in style. And uh, joining us, the host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, Rich Styles, uh, joins us to talk about it. Rich, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, appreciate you coming on. Justin Thomas, he's been one of those guys that has been up near the top of the world golf rankings uh, for a good long while. Gets the uh, the championship in a playoff. Uh, he said, look, I've never shanked a uh, shot as bad as I had in the back nine on Sunday. Still figured out a, uh, a way to win. What can you tell us about what that does for Justin Thomas and uh, a guy that's been considered one of the best in the world for some time now? Well, I think it obviously... Uh, gives him more confidence uh, in his game. I think he has been having some doubts about his game as far as being able to finish and not having won for quite a while. Uh, this win definitely puts him back into uh, probably in the top 15 or 20 in the, in the world, uh, maybe even the top 10. Uh, and and I, I think the biggest move, the best move that he's made over the last couple of years is getting Bones to come back as his caddy. I mean, even... Uh, Bone said, you know, if I was ever going to come back, it would have to be the right guy at the right time, and JT is the right guy. So you've got a great caddy and a great player. They get along great, and I just think this helps Justin Thomas prove that he does have the ability to win, which we all knew because he's got several wins already and a major and the players. But I think this just gives him a little bit more momentum, especially coming back from seven shots back. And ability to go out there and you know uh, you know play well. Will Will Zalatoris, is a guy that's had you know what five top ten finishes in the last seven majors. Talk about his game as of late and how he seems to be a guy that seems to be playing extremely well. Well, he's obviously got some good genes. He came from Wake Forest, which is where Arnold Palmer went to school. Uh, uh, Jay Haas's brother is the golf coach there. Uh, Webb Simpson went there. So, I mean, you've got a lot of great golfers that came out of Wake Forest University. Uh, he came out and won uh, in 2020 on the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, came out and uh, was the PGA Rookie of the Year, and then placed second at the Masters, uh, now having second at another major. I mean, he has just been playing great. Um, obviously, you get in those positions this many times. It means you're probably – not too far away from having your first PGA Tour win or even more for Will, uh, a major win. So he's really playing great. Uh, putting seems to be a little bit of an issue with him. But, uh, hey, with the finishes that he's had, I'd love to be putting like he does. Absolutely. Again, I know we, Rich, we talk to you a lot about the next big thing, the next guy on the list. Uh, but. You look at uh, Will Zalatoris, uh, five top tens and seven majors. That's that's outside of winning one. That's that's crazy stuff, right? Is is this a guy that once he finally and I, I hate to chalk up a win, but once he finally gets a win or two, you look around and go, this guy's been good for a while. Just nobody was paying attention. Oh, I think people are paying attention to him now for sure. Uh, you know, when you've got five out of seven in the majors over the last couple of years, I mean. This kid is just strong. I mean, he's 25 years old. Uh, he's, he's got a tremendous game uh, off the tee. He's strong. Iron play is strong. Uh, I think the only thing he's really uh, has been holding him back is maybe a shot here and there, um, obviously. Uh, but, you know, what a talent. I mean, he came out of college with several wins. As I said, one on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, has done very well up on the PGA Tour. So, I mean, this... He's already on everybody's list as far as one to watch when it comes to tournaments. 
Rich, I know when it comes to golf, I mean, I don't think there's any great greater strategy of a game than golf, but and I've heard all kind of things, but this guy, Matt Fitzpatrick, people talking about his note taking. They say after every single shot, no matter what it is, he, he's taking a note of it. Talk about his note taking and how it seemingly has worked for him. They say he's been doing this since he's been like 15 years old. Well, heck, I take notes after every one of my shots, but I erase them after I take them. They're so bad. But, um, you know, he's, he's making sure that he's trying to perfect his game. And, I mean, golf is not a game of perfect. It's just trying to make your, your bad shots not so bad. Um, so, you know, he's taking, shot, he's taking shots and then he's making notes. He's trying to figure out what could I have done better. Uh, so he's trying to look at the positives. And if there are some negatives, write those down and try and work on those things. I mean, this is a, a, a kid that's studying, obviously, what he's doing right, but also what he can improve upon. And uh, obviously it works. Um, and you got to give the guy credit for based on his performance over the last couple of years on the PGA Tour. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, joining us. And, and Rich, obviously it's, it's a major, so you're going to talk about Tiger Woods. He made it. To the weekend, and then uh, had to withdraw. The you know the body obviously hurting him a little bit. A lot of people said, "Hey, it was impressive. He made it to the weekend." And a lot of people maybe even foreshadowed that that might be coming. Uh, when you look at Tiger Woods, and we've talked about this a lot, and yeah, he's always got the magic. But is his body going to allow him to continue to play at the high level? Because what he's only been playing basically in majors thus far, and uh, we we can kind of see how his body's responding. Yeah, I think, you know, if if you look at him, uh, you know, the first day, you know, he plays great, um, or at least doesn't shoot himself out of the tournament. Second day, he kind of makes the cut uh, last two times. So you got to give him credit for that. But I think Tiger's struggling to make four rounds. Uh, he only made it three at the PGA, and I think that's going to be a big deal. Um, for him to play four good rounds the way he would like to play, I think we're still maybe another year away, um, uh, if that. Um, you know, it may be come to the point where Tiger says, you know, I just can't do this anymore. My body's not reacting the way I want it to. Uh, I can do all the, you know, the weightlifting and training and bending and stretching and all this other kind of stuff. But, guys, my body, based on this accident that I've had, uh, I just can't play four great rounds of golf anymore especially trying to walk the way that he is. I mean, you saw his, his, his walk is different, um, which I think makes him different as far as the way he approaches the weekends. And, Rich, I mean, when you see it, you know, even to that point, when you see a guy like Tiger Woods and when you think about, you know, you talk, when you talk about, like, the game passing us by or what may have you as far as, as, far as like, being a professional athlete, like, like a guy like uh, Tiger what breaks down first? Is it is it a golfer's game or is it his body? Because obviously, you know, for a guy that plays golf as much as you do, uh, Rich, what do you think it is, and what do you think would be that deciding factor for Tiger? He would say for him to say, "Look, as much as I want to do it, my body just won't let me do it." Yeah, I I think it's definitely the body. I think uh, you know when he's got the game. I mean, we all know that. Um, and when you have the game and your body's not responding the way you know you can play, the way you've played in the past, um, it, it can be rather frustrating. And I'm sure he's going through a lot of, uh, what's my next step? Am I really going to play in the Open at St. Andrews coming up uh, in, in July? 
will my body be ready for that? Should I play prior to that? Should I just forget about playing until the Open? Should I just forget about playing for the rest of the year? I think all those things are coming into effect for Tiger because his body is is responding, but it can't go through that that four days of walking and hitting and twisting and all those things that he used to be able to do. Best guest, U.S. Open coming up next month. Does he try to play? It is obviously in the United States, up in Massachusetts. Does he try to play in the U.S. Open? I think he will, um, depending upon what happens over the next three to four weeks with his body. Uh, if his body responds to the treatment, to the physical therapy, to the, all the other things that I think his team is going to be trying to work on, uh, I think the biggest thing is his stamina uh, and his leg being able to get through four rounds. Um, I, I think he'll definitely try. Uh, there's no doubt that Tiger's got the guts to go through it and he's got the game to go through it. Uh, it's just now, I think, a question of will his body let him go four rounds, even at St. Andrews, which is not hilly, but it's still a big walk for him to get in there for four rounds. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, our guest. Rich, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Have a great one. Will do. Rich Stiles, you can catch him Saturday and Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. And, uh, Ben, you look at uh, Tiger in the, in the major, you look at and I think this is one of those things athletes want to compete. Nobody wants to see that uh, downside of the career. But I think for those of us who saw peak Tiger, you see flashes of the game, as Rich said, hey, he can put together great golf. Just you can't do it for three and four days. And I know for fans of Tiger's, like, you're not used to seeing a human element <laughs> to Tiger Woods' game where, like, I can still do it. I just can't physically keep doing it. Uh, what's required to, to get through the weekend? I mean, Superman definitely has a kryptonite, right, Kevin? When you think about a guy like Tiger Woods, and that's what it really comes down to is, Kevin, we've seen him do things in golf that nobody ever has. When you talk about, like, I mean, the mystique of what he does, I mean, the, the grace in which he does, the aggressiveness. But no one – listen, we saw Kobe Bryant, maybe rest of me, we saw Kobe Bryant take his, you know, you know, play his last game as the leg. You're saying, look, even the best have to bow out. Now, outside of LeBron and Tom Brady, Father Time has been undefeated. Them two right there now, I, I, I don't know. But I just think that, too – can we forget that's a lot of golf? Like that's a Tiger Woods has played a lot of golf. And when you play as aggressive as he's played, his body, they always say this when you when you when you play a sport, your body is breaking down. It's just breaking down slower because you are giving it what it needs. But hey man, Tiger's what? Mid-40s, a lot of golf. We don't want to see him bow out, Kevin. But you know, just like I know, he's gonna have to do it sooner or later. I, it, will it be him or will it be will it be his team? Only time will tell. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. We've got more to come here on 3 now, including, if you missed it, from earlier with Christian Gokel, conversation he had with Georgia Southern head football coach Clay Helton. We'll get to that coming up in the final hour of the program as well. It's 3 and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. A lot to get to coming up in the final hour of the program. We'll hear from Clay Helton, Georgia Southern head football coach. His conversation he had with our own Christian Gokel. Great conversation there as they get ready and the countdown is on to his first Full season there in Statesboro. Also, I've been talking about something Lane Kiffin weighed in on in regards to NIL and the potential problems it could cause for coaches and things on the field. He says it could work, It's but a number of things Lane Kiffin said, uh, 
It was quoted in SI about NIL. We want to get to and get your thoughts on as we enter into kind of the first full year of unfettered NIL deals and how it could play out uh, on the field with a, a first full year of a lot of collectives and booster groups that are uh, handing out NIL deals. We'll get to that and what Lane Kiffin had to say about that coming up in the final hour of the program. So uh, looking forward uh, to that, Ben, as you know, Lane Kiffin always good for a uh, for a quote or two. Hey Kevin, I, I kept te- I kept telling you that's the uh, that's the Nick Saban effect. Nick Saban say something, you know. Jimbo say something. Mike Leach ain't said nothing yet, but Lane Kiffin like let me throw my hat in the ring, man. Everybody else got something to say. I'm telling you, man, them SEC meetings going to be lit, people. Oh yeah, I, look the uh, the Saban Jimbo Lane uh, kind of triangle. Would be fun to to be a fly on the wall and see what those guys are talking about in terms of uh, how to solve some of these issues uh, with, with NIL. And again, I think we'll get to it in the final. Hour, but Lane, I thought brought up some interesting points. Uh, he's been a guy that's been around NFL and others, and one of his points been uh, quickly. We'll get to in the final hour. He said, "Look, I've been in a situation where we drafted a guy. I think he's talking about Al Davis. We drafted a guy." I didn't think he was good enough to uh, to play. I didn't really want to draft him. Owner said, you're playing him. I said, but he's not the best option. We're not doing it. You're fired. He said, the same thing. What do you think is going to happen with boosters who get a kid to come in? And the coach says, but he's not the best option. Uh, well, we raised money and paid for him to be here, so he's playing. No, he's not. Am I fired now? Like I, I think that's the interesting thing that we could see in college football with how much uh, NIL promises were made vis-a-vis potential playing time and how much the coach actually wants to play that out. It's going to be interesting, Kevin, I mean, because you know, like I know, boosters run college athletics. For those of you who don't know, boosters run college athletics. All of it, all of it. So if you don't like the decision they've been making, if they get your son or daughter in that school, go watch the movie Blue Chips. And man, you think I don't play, my mama going to lose her job? You better be at practice on Monday. You better do that. So, just Algiers. No, I, I, that's, my <laughs> that's my favorite part. Where he's got to go uh, find uh, Neon Bedo, aka Shaq, mm-hmm. in what Algiers, Louisiana. He's like Algiers. I mean, you know how, how, how Shaq gonna block your shot and me? Uh, you mad at me? You blocked my shot. Well, I ain't gonna say nothing to you. My goodness. That was that was actually like a good Shaq role. He's like, it was. No, seriously, somebody owes me a hundred dollars. Seriously. Okay, some of y'all, some, one of y'all owe me a hundred. Hey, 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 one of y'all owe me a When you got the bend over to, to walk in the door, get that man this hundred. Give him two hundred. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You said I couldn't pass it. To, somebody owed me a hundred dollars. That was a, that was a tremendous movie. Very underrated yes. uh, there for uh, no, for Blue yes. Chips. Like, I forget who the guy was that was already on the team. He's like, how are you failing TV? <laughs> I mean, I mean when, uh, you fail a TV. I mean, we kept saying, look, nobody's even there. Great movie, man. Great movie. Um, I'm always check- looking forward to the remake. If you haven't seen it, check out uh, Blue Trip's great sports movie at the end of the day. Hey, we got a lot to get to. Final hour, Braves and Phillies tonight. We'll hear from Clay Helton uh, coming up in the final hour. And also, uh, again, Lane Kiffin weighing in on NIL. Some interesting things that he sees potentially happening there in college football. We'll get to that final hour, three and out. Good to have you back here, three and out on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. We will hear from Clay Helton. Uh, had a conversation with our own Christian Gokel earlier as he gets ready for his first year uh, there in Statesboro. Also look at Lane Kiffin and some of his thoughts. Uh, he has weighed in on the NIL and some of the potential 
positive some of the potential pitfalls of of NIL as it uh, pertains to uh, to college football. So we'll get to all that as we go through here in the final hour, of course, leading up towards Braves and Phillies uh, tonight. Uh, ben Troop, as the Braves have a chance to, dare I say it aloud, for fear of jinxing it, win two games in a row. Kevin, you just did it, and and, and I, isn't it time though? Like I don't get, we start doing this way, way. I don't, I don't. We got to get to two before you get three, but I mean, yeah. No, 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 no. Get get two in a row. Get it. Like like I said, you want to win series. You want to definitely have your best outing, and you know, which is your, which is which is uh, uh tonight. But I do think uh, Kevin, like I said, coming having a lead, losing a lead, and and finding a way to get it. You know, find late late game heroics in the ninth. It makes it so okay. I mean, boy, you. Well, I'm trying to tell you, man, your patience and love of the game is tested so much in one game. But this Braves team, they're finding ways, you know, hopefully, Kevin, they can get these bats going, right? Because like I said, I mean, I don't like these early leads that you got to find your way to scratch and claw. Kingsley Jansen, I mean, yeah, wasn't his best showing last night. But I just think that if they can get two in a row, then that then, Kevin, dare I say, that Vaughn had three in a row. I'm going to have to text BJ and say, man, did you see that? Yeah, well, it's about time. At the end of the day, Kevin, like I said in hour one, you know, the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, the Nats, and the Marlins are all driving down the street, and the Mets way out front. As long as you can see the Mets and the Mets can see you, you got a shot. We can't let them boys get so out front of it. It's like, hey, man, now we battling for wild cards or second place. No, there ain't no wild cards. I know it's okay to be a wild card popping bottles playing game with the Yankees, by the way. I just think that at the end of the day, Kevin, they don't. you control your own destiny by winning your division. You don't want to start that wild card stuff because there are teams that their second place is not second – t- second place in certain divisions ain't even fair how many games some of these teams win. And they, oh, certainly. Get in. I think if you're the Braves, you also hope the, the Mets are driving that car going, wait, is that a little smoke? A little smoke <laughs> I see coming out from under the hood? Could oh, be the time. check engine light is definitely on, but they so far in front. They ain't taking to get a service. We're going to ride this bad boy <laughs> That's true. How long do people ride around with the check engine light on? It's just, oh, that's just there. It's, it's You don't need, to, don't need to worry about it. Oh, yeah, listen, listen. My, listen, back in the day, my mom's a whip. I said, Mama, how long uh, How long is the check engine light on? She says, quote, is that what that is? Uh, that's, not, that's not what I wanted you to say. It's so, just a yeah. picture that says it's running. It's on. Oh yeah, yeah. The man say, "Look, man, we ain't." Somebody said, "Hey, man, the check engine light. Like, when we drive too fast, it's cool, right? We gonna be good. We gonna we we ch- we put some water in it. We put some antifreeze in it. Meanwhile, the braids like just keep on riding that bad boy. You know, let that smoke come out that exhaust. And we gonna we gonna we gonna catch up to y'all boys. You know, sooner rather than later. Yeah, and again, made up a little ground last night. Uh, chance for uh, for two in a row. If you win tonight, you earn yourself no worse than a split for the series. And then we talked about it the last several days. Uh, you mentioned last year. Hey, it was an unbelievable run of win a game, lose a game, win a game, lose a game. I want to say it was 13 or 14 games in a row, uh, win, lose, win, lose, and they haven't been much better than that. And, again, that's I guess that's consistency, but it's maddening uh, as a fan as you'd like to see win shrinks. But the Braves are the only team in Major League Baseball right now who has not won three games in a row and have not lost three games in a row. I think they're one of three that have not lost three games in a row, the Mets, the Padres, and the Braves. All have not lost three games in a row, but you haven't won three games in a row. I, I think uh, what would it be if you could say, hey, the Braves have not lost three games in a row, and they've had winning streaks of five games and six games, uh, even four games out there. What a difference this team would be uh, looking at right now as far as the standings are concerned. But uh, to me, the fact that 
You haven't lost three games in a row is good because you obviously have that grit and determination to stop a losing streak before it gets started. However, it's frustrating that you haven't been able to put together what would you what would be considered a win streak. And to me, I keep going back to that, Ben, because people have asked me this whole time, are, are, was it time to worry about the Braves? Is it time to worry about the Braves? I don't think so because you talk about peaking over the course of the season. I think every single person can look at this Braves team and say they have not played their best baseball yet. It's, it's not, and I don't think it's r- relatively close. They have not played their best baseball yet. Do they have flaws? Yes, they strike out too much and all of that. But they have not, through all of that, played their best consistent baseball as of yet. I think we'll see it through this stretch. Again, the Phillies uh, right now are the best team you are going to see. They have a, a record just like the Braves, but they are the best team you are going to see for the next month. This is it. So if you could take two out of or split two out of four, take three out of four, and win tonight, and win again maybe tomorrow, take three out of four, it gets hypothetically, theoretically, easier for the next three, four weeks to go out and try to win baseball games. And I, to me, that is what I, I guess I'm the glass is half full guy. But to me, I look at this team and say they have not begun to play to their potential, and that should at least give you at least a pause for positivity if you are a Braves man. It'd be one thing if they were bad and you're like, yeah, this probably wasn't a very good team on paper, right? It'd be like cheering for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hey, they're bad. They probably weren't expected to be very good. It is what it is. But if you know there's more and you just haven't see it, seen it yet, you have to believe that at some point it is coming, especially over the course of 162 games, Ben. To me, that's why I say look at this Braves team with a positive bent, it hasn't been fun that they haven't been able to put anything together, but they can play better than they have. And I think that, to me, uh, shows that there's more out there than what we've seen so far win-loss-wise. Yeah, Kevin, and you just expect them to get it right. That's the thing about pro sports is, especially baseball, which is like no other sport, you got you expect them to get it right. If you're on the mound, Freed and company, I expect you to get it right. Kinsley Jansen in the bullpen, expect you guys to get it right. Play the appearances, Expect you guys to get it right, and the thing about it is, Kevin, even even beginning, uh, even start with the start of the season, it was it was all three phases. I mean, starting pitching, what you wanted to be, the, the lineup wasn't wanting to be. You didn't you didn't like where the bullpen was. Now you're getting flashes. They show flashes here. They show flashes there. Contreras getting that, you know, you know, listen, listen, getting that, uh, getting that, uh, getting that hit in the, in the ninth. That's because you know what it is, Kevin. The thing about baseball. You lose, you lose faith, but you gain faith every game. Every game, either you lose some. Oh man, we should have won that one, or you gain a little more, right? And I just think for this Braves team, is you saying to yourself, "All right, man, when you guys going to turn the corner?" Because a lot of times, it's fan expectation versus actual playing baseball out there. With us, you know, even even if you break it down the game, <coughs> excuse me, you know, you know what this Braves team is capable of. Problem is, it's the bigs. You take a team that's not on the Braves level that will smack them and you thinking what happened but I just think that it comes down to those early innings can you have early inning success and can you either maintain that in the late innings because Kevin like I said listen you can you can turn on the Braves from the seventh inning on it's going to be exciting stuff especially when you're talking about the eighth and the ninth inning but they're finding a way Kevin to keep it together right they're finding a way that all right we're getting some ugly wins it's all about the win man it's not how we get it it's that we get it they get two. They get. They get. They get two in a row. 
Maybe that becomes three in a row. Who knows? Come even though I don't want to look to June, even though we almost at June already. I mean, dude, we already half of the freaking year <laughs> gone already. I just I just want to make sure that this Braves team understand that they are the hunted. Every all twenty nine other teams are coming at y'all because y'all y'all were the team you know hoisting up the World Series trophy last year. And most teams, let's face it, they ain't scratching no playoffs, letting on no World Series. But Kevin. If they can put it together and they can go on, I don't like to give them no love, a Mets run, I think that's all the Braves need because I think right now if the Braves were in the Mets position and the Mets were in the Braves position, I don't feel comfortable that the Braves have stand power. But now, Mets, we're going to see if you got stamina to keep that lead. And, and obviously with the Braves, we're going to see if you can, you can, you know, you can play that underdog role even though you're not and catch them boys, you know what I'm saying, from New York. And, and the Mets have spent a lot of money, a lot of money, to try to make sure that they stay out in front of those Atlanta Braves. We'll see if it is a, a situation that's uh, that can stick or if, you know, the Braves can, uh, can can chase them down. I think, again, much like – I don't want to use this compared, but much like you had Tiger Woods at his peak, I think right now in the division, the Mets feel good way out in front. The closer the Braves get, you get a little bit more nervous. The closer the Braves get, you get a little bit more nervous uh, that uh, they're putting it together and you got to hold them off. So I think the Braves, as you said, do have that in their corner – four-time defending NL East champion and obviously the defending World Series champion. We got so much to get to here on the show. We're going to hear from Lane. We're going to talk about what Lane Kiffin had to say, Ben, uh, when it comes to uh, NIL and some of the potential problems that it could cause, but what also it could be. We'll hear from Clay Helton as well. He had a chance to talk with our own Christian Gokel. First year upcoming and a lot of eyeballs going to be on Clay Helton, Ben, as you, you said. Look, he was the first domino to fall last year. It was three game three. Game's in, and Southern Cal said, nope, you're done. And some forward thinking by Jared Binko wasn't working out with, with Chad Lunsford. Well, I think they hired – didn't they hire uh, Clay Helton with like two or three games left in the yeah, season? Yeah, and so he yeah. had a chance to kind of sit back and watch this thing play out, get an early jump on recruiting, and through some of the transfer portal has been able to put together a team. I think a lot of people, especially in the Sun Belt, are saying – Complete system change. You recruited well. Could this be one of those turnarounds that nobody's thinking about now? But, you know, you look up end of next year and they got seven, eight wins that, you know, nobody saw coming. I can see it. I can see it, Kevin. I mean, give Jared Binko a lot of credit. You go out there and get a big fish that everybody thought was going to go P5. Everybody thought was going to kind of stay kind of like in that realm of, you know, Pac-12, Big Ten, what may have you. But then you get a guy that's coming into a Sun Belt to where you see what they're doing to Coast Carolina. Louisiana is coming off back-to-back uh, Sun Belt championships. App is still the class of the entire division. You got a nice little rivalry going up, going out, going up with them other boys at GSU up there in the ATL. I just think, Kevin, if they can figure out what you want this offense to be, get some quality defense with a running game, they can be in the thick of it because unfortunately. The G5 that everybody wants to stay away from is the fun belt known as the Sun Belt. You don't play with them boys, but Coach Helton should be a good one. We, but, but Kevin, right now he can do no wrong because when he first got to Statesboro, people losing their mind. Now you now when the rubber meets the road, come, come you know come September, you better you better be getting some dubs because, hey man, Georgia Southern faithful man, they rough, they they loyal but they rough. Hey, they expect to win. That's uh, that's yeah. where they're coming from. We'll hear from Clay Helton as he had a chance to sit down with our own Christian Gokel. Next, it's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. To have you along here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us 
a part of your day. College football, the countdown is on. A lot of folks getting really excited about the start of Georgia Southern football. And earlier, if you missed it, our own Christian Gokel had a chance to speak with the head football coach of the Georgia Southern Eagles, Clay Helton, and talk about what he expects uh, during this countdown to the start of college football in his first full year there in Statesboro. Welcome back into ESPN Radio. Christian Gokel, glad to have you guys hanging out with us here as we're talking some college football and Really one of the more interesting storylines around the country is the new head coaches taking over and what is an ever-changing climate uh, inside of college football and a guy that it seems wild to say, but it's been over 200 days since he took over and we were up in Statesboro to see him officially introduce Clay Helton, uh, kind enough to take some time with us. Coach, time flies, man. Oh my gosh, does it? He blink your eyes and it's already it's already May. We're getting ready to start summer access and get summer strength and conditioning going. So uh, looking forward to it. And we'll blink our eyes again. It'll be the first game of the season before we know it. Absolutely. How excited are you just to get to work making people better? I know there's so, many, so much peripheral stuff that you have to do, especially this time of the year. How excited are you just to get back to work? Yeah, you know, we, we've had a little bit of a break here following uh, spring spring football uh, that finished up in late April, uh, allowing the kids to go through finals and then their discretionary period. And we actually start our strength and conditioning program for the summer access period next week and looking forward to getting the kids back going through that cycle and preparing for a fall training camp. And, you know, it's been an exciting uh, for since joining here in November 2nd of last year, it's been an exciting time, you know, having a chance to really build a new staff, uh, having a chance to, you know, bring 26 newcomers on in December. We're adding a couple more here in late spring, uh, which has been really nice to be able to put this football team together and take it into the 22 season. Uh, it has uh, been uh, very, very exciting, very challenging, uh, but a lot of fun. And uh, looking forward to all that hard work and investment that these kids are doing, uh, looking to be a successful 22 season. And you mentioned wrapping up spring practice there. When you guys were going into it, what were your main goals that you wanted to be able to come out of spring practice and feel like you had some sort of information? What were you looking for? Yeah, you know, really, as you anytime you build a try to build a championship program, it starts, you know, right when you take the job, you get great people around you, great, great coaches, great support staff, uh, great student athletes, and then you install a culture. And that culture is done through strength and conditioning over a nine week period of time uh, during the winter, winter access period. And then, you know, spring football is about Im implementation of systems. Yeah. You know, and being a new staff, you're looking at a new offensive system under Brian Ellis, a new uh, defensive system under Will Harris, uh, and a new special teams commitment, you know, under Turner West. So it's really about implementing your systems and getting your kids acquainted to those uh and it took you know basically 15 practices five weeks i wish we had 1500 right uh, but we'll get 25 more uh come come fall training camp but we we progressed so much as a football team that whether it was our culture whether it was perfecting those systems and growing within them. Uh, we still got a lot of work to go uh, in, in fall training camp and over the summer, uh, but we are making those steps that are needed to be a successful program. I know we caught up with Coach Ellis uh, after the spring game, and he said really the position group that surprised him the most has been the wide receivers. Just when you come into a team that's in a program uh, that's run the option for so long, typically wide receivers not the first group you think about, but he said he was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, definitely. It was one of the things that we looked at um, when I first got here in November. 
you know, looking at the kids' practice and watching the last three games, uh, being able to be there physically, it was evident that, oh, my gosh, there's some really good skilled athletes, not, not only at the wide receiver position, tight end position, uh, running back position, uh, you know, and the wide receivers especially. I was like, wow, you, people are going to look up in the 22 season and say, where did these guys come from? Um, and so it, being able to change the system to a more balanced style uh, of uh, pass and run, uh, to be able to give those kids opportunity to be major contributors, I think you're going to see a lot of names jump out this this fall that have been on campus for two to three years that now they're getting their opportunities to contribute at a higher level. Georgia Southern head football coach Clay Helton, kind enough to take some time with us here today. Uh, coach, I want to take you back uh, to April where you see 30 players from the state of Georgia get drafted uh, to go on and play in the NFL. We've, t- we've spoken about this before, mm-hmm. just the amount of talent that's within a 100-mile radius from Statesboro mm-hmm. there. But when you're looking at that and you're seeing that talent level and then going out and recruiting and say, hey, this is what we can send to you and we can take you and help you develop you into that NFL talent, what kind of recruiting prowess does that give you just knowing, hey, we're right here? Yeah, you know, it was one of the things that I loved about the job and really intrigued me about the job was the recruiting base. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, I was so excited to come to Georgia State yeah. uh, because you knew everything was right here for you. And if you look at our model that we did this past recruiting class, it really is the blueprint for us. You know, we are we're not going to be a transfer portal team. Uh, we are going to be a development football team. Uh, so when you saw us sign 26 players in December, 22 of the 26 were freshmen. We did take four transfer portal guys that we thought were immediate needs uh, because you lose a, a C.J. Wright, you know, to the NFL. He goes out early. Uh, and you bring in a Christian Varner from Hiram, Georgia, from that's via uh, the University of North Carolina. There was a specific need there. But we signed 22 freshmen, and 19 of those 22 were from the great state of Georgia. So you have everything that you need right here to be able to acquire elite talent and to develop that talent at a very young age. So as we move forward, I think that's what you're going to see from us is the availability to acquire some elite athletes from the state of Georgia, uh, as well as the attached states of Florida, South Carolina, Alabama, uh, and be able to grow uh, young people and develop them into NFL talents. Now, you mentioned the transfer portal there, and I'm sure you didn't miss uh, the news from a couple of your coaching brothers there uh, in the SEC last week. But just at the bottom, of, I know you are a college football fan. I mean, you're from Gainesville, Florida. It's kind of impossible mm-hmm. to grow up in that area of the country without being a college football fan. And I know you're focused on developing this program. But as you look around just the, I guess, the area of college football, how concerned are you or how excited are you about the future of it? Because I know there's a lot of fans right now that just don't know how to feel. Yeah, you know, I've been doing it 27 years. Um, and so the landscape of football has changed a lot, especially in the last 10 years. You know, and some of the things that uh, that are being done are really advantageous for the student athlete. And, you know, I'd look at, you know, the opportunity to, to have a one-time transfer portal, to gain a six-year, uh, the, the new regulations that even came out with COVID, uh, NIL, you know, it's really benefited the student athlete. And that's a good thing for the game. Now, anytime that you have change, you know, there's going to be new rules and new regulations, and uh, there's going to be a learning and transition period. And we're going through that transition period uh, right now. You know, it's our, it's our job as leaders of young men of 18 to 21 year olds to adapt 
with the situations that come as the landscape changes uh, and be able to not only continue to develop young men on and off the field, uh, but also to continue to build winning programs, you know? And so uh, having done it 27 years, the landscape has yeah. changed a thousand times. Yeah. And it's changed a bunch uh, over the last couple of years. And it's been the benefit of the student athlete, which is a good thing. Um, and it's our job as, as leaders, as head coaches, to be able to adapt with it and continue to grow and develop our young men within it. And what are your conversations with your young men? Because I don't know how many people are aware of what it takes to be just a student athlete, number one, getting up 5, 6 a.m. to go to workouts, and then during the season having to be out there at practice on top of all of the full class load that you're taking. And now you throw in the other side of it where there's going to be people from all angles coming at you trying to pull you in every different way uh, in terms of sponsorship deals, in terms of opportunities that you have to profit off of your name. What have your conversations been with your players about that? Yeah, obviously there's some opportunities uh, that are out there, and it's great to be able to to be able to use your name, your image, and likeness to be able to grow, help your family, help yourself personally. But I always try to remind them: think big picture. Um, you know, when you're talking about gaining wealth, it needs to be over a long period of time. Uh, I know this about football. Football lasts a very short period of time. Yeah. It's about 0.5% make it to the NFL. The average NFL lifespan is 3.3 years right now. So how do how do I grow and take care of my children's children, you know, when I'm 55, 60 years old? Well, it starts with your degree. It starts, it starts, it starts with your degree and being able to grab your degree and be able to do something outside of the game when the game is over at a very high level. And then if you want to be an NFL football player, remember, if that's the number one priority is to get there, you don't know how much work that takes to be able to be an elite player. So make sure you're focusing on that even as much as all the other attributes that are outside of it, whether it's name, image, and likeness and the people that are coming at you. To be a master of your craft, you have to work at it, you know. And so, as 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 you're successful in the game, obviously opportunities are going to come. So concentrate on being successful in the game. Concentrate on being successful in life after the game with your degree and the things and the network that you create and the opportunities and experiences that you create. And those successes academically and athletically will naturally. Yeah learner opportunities and so um you try to get them to think big picture uh and and think of this thing over a life uh, over a lifespan rather than in just one moment in time or one deal clay helton georgia southern head football coach kind enough to take some time with us here coach before we let you go we try to do this with everybody i got some rapid fire questions if your game i know you don't mind a hurry up offense so if your game sounds good all right fourth and one to seal the game what's the play call I uh, did it in the did it in the championship game, uh, Pac-12 championship game versus Stanford. We allowed Sam Darnold to to run a naked and get out on the perimeter where he could run or throw it uh, to three different receivers, and and uh, ended up throwing it to the tight end for a first down. Do you ever kick a field goal from the one yard line? Uh, not if I can help it. <laughs> Coach on the roster that thinks he can still play. That I can play? None. No, coach no, on the no. roster that thinks he can still play. Oh, goodness. Uh, without question, I know Ryan Applin and Marcus <laughs> Davis. Can. All right, best high school football player you have ever seen in person? Oh, my goodness. Um, one near and dear to my heart, D'Angelo Williams. Oh, yeah. And finally, coach, I know you know who Ben Troop is. If everyone here at the studio, myself included, tried to tackle Ben Troop in the open field, do you think we could do it? No.
That, that sounds about right. <laughs> Clay Hilton, kind enough to take some time with us here, getting ready uh, to kick off their season September 3rd against Morgan State there at Paulson. Coach, we appreciate the time, man, and look forward to talking to you again before the season. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate it. Hell Southern. That's Clay Hilton talking with our own Christian Gokel uh, earlier. Uh, ben, as uh, you look at that last question, man, what is that? Could all of us tackle you in the open field? Like, how, that's not a fair question. What is that? I mean, number number one, I mean, while I listen, I always appreciate Christian showing me some love, but number one, who says I want to be in the open field? Who says I'm trying to run away from the tackle? No. Getting me down on the ground so I can talk trash about what I would have done. No, no, no. Because, Kevin, this thing, I'm going to hurt myself more trying to run away from you, and, I, and I'm going to give you the original. I'm going to show you what the original eh, got originated from. That I appreciate the love. Listen, listen, I like how Coach Hell don't even think about it. No. I mean, <laughs> no <laughs> chance, not gonna happen. No, that's, I, that, that's, that, that's that game. That's that Gainesville bias. But no, Coach Helton, hey man, he I, I, he said something, Kevin, that I think is really, really near and dear. When he was talking about NIL, he said you got to think of it as a long term thing. And he started talking about you know taking care of your children, your grandchildren, and things of that nature. He, he he's a guy that's been doing it for twenty seven years. He understands what it takes to be successful in this league. He understands that I've seen college football go through a lot of different changes. He's embracing NIL, but he's also saying, get your degree, take care of what you're supposed to take care of on the field, and the opportunities will be plentiful down the line, hopefully. And we appreciate uh, Coach Helton. As he joined Christian Gokel earlier, we'll come back. Speaking of coaches and what they had to say, Lane Kiffin weighed in on some NIL stuff. Ben, I want to get your reaction to that and maybe some of the positives and some of the pitfalls that come with that. We'll talk about it next here. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Good to have you back here 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, but glad you are with us. Lane Kiffin, he's never one to shy away from weighing in and uh, throwing his thoughts and opinions around uh, Ben and in Sports Illustrated, weighed in on a number of things. And one of the things uh, he was asked about was, you know, what about NIL and, and booster groups and how that, that weighs in? And uh, the question from, from, from Sports Illustrated was, when you were head coach at the Raiders, you and then owner Al Davis became embroiled in a public fight over the playing time of number one draft pick Jamarcus Russell. Do you see that starting to play out in college? And Lane Kiffin said, how is that not going to be an issue? that the donor pays the money for the player and you're not playing them and that same donor gets you hired and fired, that don't that donor is now what? He's the owner. I've been there when the owner calls and says, we need to play this guy. And I say, no, we need to play this other guy. I'll tell you what happens. You get fired. You get fired on an overhead projector. What's going to happen when the lead donor calls and says to play this guy and you don't? Do you get fired? Ben, do you think we see that play out more publicly in college football with NIL and <coughs> booster groups out there providing NIL for players to, I know it's not supposed to be used to get them there, but I think we all kind of know what the deal is with some of this stuff. Yeah, Kevin, you could definitely see it. it you know, it's, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to, I think it's going to be more selective than people think. I think the thing about Lane Kiffin is I was, uh, I was actually on that Lane Kiffin team. Uh, you know, back in 2008 when he was the head coach of the Raiders, him and uh, Al Davis as well documented. Al Davis had a, a, a long list of complaints when he decided. I, and mind you, that's such a unique case. I've never seen – if you're going to get rid of a coach, you get rid of a coach. But to have all that, like to have that long list. But 
Lane Kiffin also understands who runs college football. He goes, okay, you want to be able to get play, a player X at your school. So you go and get these boosters. These boosters are saying, you told us we give you this amount of money. You get him in there, and he's going to play. All of a sudden, oh, he ain't picking him off. Uh-uh, uh-uh, What You don't get to decide the terms of this contract once he gets on campus. Yeah, Kevin, you know you can see it. Now, the thing about Lane Kiffin is this is too. I like when Lane Kiffin is talking, though. Like, can Lane Kiffin want to get some clicks? Ole Miss ain't been in the headlines like Texas A&M, like, like Alabama. But there is a lot of truth to what he is saying is because when you got an entity known as the Boosters and they don't have any penalties, there's nothing going to happen to them. What, NCAA going to send them a fine? <laughs> no. So I think what you're doing is you're saying you better establish some type of rapport when it comes to the Boosters. They say, look, y'all going to have to entrust me to make the right decision with y'all money. Because, which also is a slippery slope because the, 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 the head coaches are supposed to be hands off. <laughs> When it comes to these deals. So, yes, Kevin, it's going to be very, very confusing. But if you are a booster, right, and I'm giving you my money, like with anything that we give my money to, I expect a return on of investment. I don't care what it is. So, hey, while, you know, a Billy Napier will come out and say, I want to, I want, it's going to take what, a bucket of 20 million? He's saying that it's going to take 20 million. It's going to take 20 million. Now, if you do indeed get, just say you get 10 million. Do you say if y'all would have gave us other ten? I just think that what you're what you're deciding to do is to say, hey, we are openly saying that, that we we know why bread is buttered on. But Kevin, you also know this: if you are Booster X, I don't want to hear nothing else. I'm doing what you said doing, and I'm gonna trust it. As soon as the result on the field, the results on the field don't necessarily got to be a national championship, but it can't be seven and seven and five, six and six. No, 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 no. So, like I said, you think you want that until you get it. But, old Jimbo, everything is good right now. Let Jimbo then finish third in the West. Sure. It's going to get a little different. Well, I think that's what Lane's talking about. Like, not only that, but what about these recruits that are coming in if they're behind guys and they aren't playing? I I think that's kind of what the the thing he was doing. I I, I know uh, Darren Heitner, who you've had on as uh, part of a troop talk, uh, kind of talked about what Lane said in this uh, SI article said, look, it's a professional sport, college football. People don't want to admit it, but it's a professional sport. They're professional players. Players should get paid. Lane said they all shouldn't get paid the same thing, which I think then was the notion that we came up with that said, look, if you came out with a pay scale for players and said, this is what everybody gets, it's only a matter of time, logically, before the starting quarterback says, well, why am I getting the same thing as the guy that doesn't play? So they're not all going to get paid the same thing. NIL has changed recruiting. I think everybody understands that. That's not a huge statement by Lane. But he says, look, NIL is sustainable, but ideally there should be a cap on it. So it's not, I guess, just run away. Your thoughts on some of those things that, that Lane had to kind of uh, shed some light on? It is, not, it is not a professional sport. I will say that. That is disrespectful to, to the pros. It is not a professional. It is the pipeline to the pros, Right. But it is also not amateurism. It's somewhere in between, right? It's not amateurism, Kevin, for this reason. Forget the players for a second, right? Nick Saban makes $12 million a year. He's getting $12 million a year to coach amateur. Man, you don't get out of here. No, no. Listen, listen, Kevin, you have, you have, listen, you have children that play sports. I have children that play sports. We've seen amateur sports. 
We've seen it, right? Sure. Um, Georgia Tech ain't amateur sports. Why? So we got million-dollar stadiums. We got billion-dollar TV deals. We got merchandise sales. We got all these different things for amateurs. No, 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 no. Now, I will say this. I don't think everybody should get the same. Why? Because everybody don't get the same in college athletics. They're not getting the same. They're all getting scholarships, but they ain't getting the same exposure. They ain't getting the same prestige and different things. But don't call it NFL because the NFL, we are paying you to get it done. NIL, you have the potential to make something off your name and image likeness. Well, the whole thing about that is when I was in the National Football League, I thought everybody got endorsement deals. But I was a second-round pick. I was the top pick of the team. So when I'm getting training card deals and phone deals, I'm walking around my teammates saying, man, it's crazy the, the kind of stuff we can get right there. Like, what you mean, we? I ain't get that. And I think – and think about that, Kevin. It's like this. This is NIL in a nutshell. You come to college, you got 50%. They already give you here. We're giving you us, school X. You got a shot to take this 50% to 75%. What about 100%? Well – it's never going to be – you're never going to gain 50% when you got here. You got a chance to gain 25, maybe 35. But if the only thing you've ever done is benefit from us, we didn't get that. You didn't – so I do think they should get something. But that word something can mean a lot of things. It can mean a lot. And like I said, <clears throat> I don't know what dollar amount you put on the player to get your – even if he win the Heisman, right? You might have got your money's worth. But it's the thing. You know, he don't get to go back and do another commercial and say, hey, hey, Bryce Young, hi. Mm-mm. You already gave him money for the stuff you got him for. I think what happens is, Kevin, NIL is reality. Before, it was all perception. Man, I go to this school, man, I was a four-star recruit. That don't mean nothing. Why? Because if I don't know who you are with no helmet on, I don't know you. Why does Tom Brady do commercials? He wants you to know him because you might not watch him on Sundays. Why do Pat Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers? That's marketing. And that's Pat Mahomes right there. Everybody in their mama's going out there getting the Pat Mahomes uh, uh, mohawk. You ain't Pat Mahomes, though. Nope, nope. Everybody was out there bleaching their hair blonde with uh, Odell had to catch, right? That's marketing. What is it about you that's marketable? And most people, the answer is nothing. There is nothing about you that's marketable, and people don't want to say that. So at the end of the day, if we can't market money, if we can't use this money as marketing dollars to help us benefit from, from, from player X, sorry, we appreciate it, but we ain't in the we ain't in the mood of just giving money for nothing. We love you because we have to, you know. But I ain't finna, you know. We love our children. We ain't finna just give them money. Hey, I'm gonna give you some money because no, go to bed. Should, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dealing with it. Should there be a cap on it though? I, I think that's uh, a- yes, of course. Of course. I, 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 I think it should be a cap, Kevin, because you know, just like I know. But what I gotta the- know. I gotta. I gotta. Know, I gotta know what I can push towards, right? I gotta know what I can. Because why wouldn't it be? What you finna give? You finna give uh, Arch Manning Junior Junior thirty million? But isn't that the what? open market working right? I mean, I know there's no market for what. I think that's part of the problem is like there's not a market of like this is kind of like the going rate for a deal of of player X's caliber. But I mean, isn't that what we're all trying to figure out? Is what is the market? Not that there's an actual cap, but it's like I will say this: if, if you you got you got to set a cap, so if it does get broken, we know. All right, this is where we start this thing at. But if we don't we don't got a starting point. This kid got $150 in a Snicker bar. This kid got $100,000. Like, I, I I don't know. But I, but I, at the core, though, Kevin, think about it. Think about the state of Georgia and how much football is in the state of Georgia. Obviously, you got Georgia and Georgia Tech. 
Then you start talking about, you know, you start talking about, you know, Albany State and Savannah State and Mercer and KSU. NIL is for the it's for the ones that don't live in the game community. It ain't Georgia Tech and Georgia because we know them. What can KSU players get? Notice I said players because whatever one can get, all of them can get. At at the University of Georgia, they're 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 the player that helped them win that championship. He was a walk on. His name is Stetson. He only got what he got because he had to win that championship to get it. It ain't because he started quarterback. So. I don't know, Kevin. I'm just happy that number one, I cover it. I ain't giving a dime to none of y'all. I love you. I ain't giving you. I give you a pat on the back. I'm not giving you no money. Cause what am I giving you money for? Cause I'm in college. That ain't enough. Well, let's. I mean, again, I I think it, this is going to be something that as it plays out, we're so so new in this thing that I think a lot of people are sitting back going, let's see how it plays out. And I think the fact that while it's new, while it's been an evolving thing, the fact that nobody has stepped up and offered any real solution uh, to the problem other than, say, like a cap. I don't know if that's the right uh, answer as well, but uh, nobody in charge anyway. I mean, even for all of the Nick Saban Jimbo back and forth, that, that they didn't offer anything to say, hey, here's how I think we can rein it in. Oh, it's no. Just, I'm not giving no solutions. Yeah, I'm just I'm here to say, if we got to throw some more money at it, well, we'll just throw <laughs> some more money at it. You know, that's basically what <laughs> – what uh, what it kind of worked out as. We got more to come. Braves and Phillies right around the corner. We'll lead you up to that next. It's three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. It is three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us. Braves and Phillies, game three of four coming up tonight. Braves with a chance to at least secure a, a tie of the series and uh, a win tonight could give them a chance to win the series outright on Thursday, dare I say. Let's not put the cart before the horse bin. Win three in a row if they can win tonight and uh, and tomorrow. But uh, Charlie Morton tonight uh, for the Braves against Ranger Suarez. Another good opportunity. Max Fried pitched really well last night. Another opportunity to send a guy out there like Charlie Morton try to give you two in a row here. It's all about them Bravos, Kevin. It's all about momentum. It's all about getting two in a row, hopefully get to that three in a row. And no matter what, Kevin, build on the momentum. Start fast. Finish fast. Don't let them come back, but get the win and hopefully try to, like I said, you can still see the Mets. They try, they way up there. They smoke coming from the exhaust. Could have checked engine light on, but you, but we going to catch him. We going to catch him. Hey, that's the positivity I need uh, for today. I don't need PJ going, it's over. It's done. Every game counts the same. He does. At, I, the, I, end I, of, at the end of the day, somewhere Ben Ingram got his hand up. You can't see his face because of the big boulder on his finger. Yeah, we're defending national champs' respect. That's uh, that's uh, that's what you got to say. But again, uh, we've got it for you coming up tonight, six oh five. We'll have pregame coverage. So coming your way in about uh, seven minutes or so from right now. Appreciate Clay Helton. Uh, we heard from him joining our own Christian Gokel, also Rich Styles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, and Chris Carlin, ESPN Radio host of Carlin and Canty, which ironically you will hear coming up when we are done here on three and out. So we appreciate him coming on and joining us. If you missed any portion of the show, ESPNCoastal.com. Also go to our YouTube channel at ESPN Coastal and you can get a podcast version there or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and get an audio podcast version of the show each and every day. There's no excuses why you can't be fully in on three and out. We will see you tomorrow right here on three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.